I'm jumping in with a quick message that I've added to all HR Coffee Time episodes to let you know that my group programme, Inspiring HR, is back. In case you haven't heard of it before, it's an intensive six-week programme for mid and senior level HR and people professionals. So if you're an HR business partner, HR manager, head of HR or HR director, or the people equivalent, so a people business partner, people manager, head of people or people director, and you'd like to build your confidence, your credibility and your impact at work, Inspiring HR could be perfect for you. We get started on Wednesday the 5th of June 2024 when we'll be meeting up over Zoom for two hours every week. The group sessions are a blend of group coaching, training and facilitation. They're supportive, encouraging and practical and each week has a slightly different focus. So in week one, we look at setting yourself up for success. Week two is about boosting your confidence. Week three focuses on being strategic in your role. Week four is all about building key relationships. Week five takes a deep dive into influencing at a senior level. And the final week looks at planning for the future. There's a link with the full details in the show notes for you. Or you can learn more by going to my website, Bright Sky Career Coaching, clicking on services and then clicking on Inspiring HR Group Programme. I would love to have you join us and to get to know you throughout the programme. But if you have any questions about Inspiring HR at all, please feel free to ask by getting in touch through the website and I would be very happy to answer them for you. Welcome back to HR Coffee Time. I'm your host, Faye Wallace. If we haven't met before, hello. I am a specialist career coach for HR and people professionals, and I'm also the founder of Bright Sky Career Coaching. And before I dive into the episode, I just want to let you know that there is a space available on my Inspiring HR Group Coaching Programme. We get started on the 28th of October. We meet every Friday as a group on Zoom for two hours from one o'clock to three o'clock over six weeks and it would be lovely to have you join us if you would like to. I will pop a link to the Inspiring HR programme in the show notes or otherwise you can find it on my website, Bright Sky Career Coaching. Just go to the services for individuals and you'll find it right there. But anyway, let me get back to the main part of the show. So if you haven't come across HR Coffee Time before, it's a free weekly podcast, especially for you, to help you have a successful and fulfilling HR career without working yourself into the ground. And this week, we're tackling a slightly taboo subject, alcohol. The episode is being released on the 7th of October, which means we're in the middle of the month that has a big focus on stopping drinking because Macmillan runs their Go Sober for October campaign. It's sometimes called Sober October for short. So whether you're worrying about your own drinking or you want to be equipped to support people in your workplace with their drinking, there is lots in this episode to help because I have a fantastic guest for you. She is called Janet Hadley and she very generously shares her personal experience and expertise with us all in this area. I really enjoyed meeting Janet. I really enjoyed recording this episode with her and I think that you're going to enjoy hearing from her too. So let's crack on and meet her now. 
welcome to the show, Janet. It is wonderful to have you here today. And to get things started, it would be great if you're happy to just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background and your business. Perfect. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. Um, my name's Janet Hadley. I am a 45-year-old woman with three teenage daughters uh, who is currently doing a juggling act of being employed and setting up a startup business um, and playing the piano and running and lots of other things as well. So very busy person. <laughs> <laughs> So as a busy person, I'm very grateful that you've taken the time to come and talk to me today. And to dive straight in really to the topic, I'd love to hear, and I'm sure everyone listening would love to hear, what it was that inspired you to set up your business, Choosing Sunrise. Yes, so um, Choose Sunrise is a business that is founded on the fundamental belief that nobody should ever feel afraid to ask for help with alcohol use. And there's obviously a story behind that, as there is with all businesses. So I stopped drinking in the first lockdown in 2020. I realised that my relationship with alcohol had become a little bit dark is how I'd describe it. I'd gone from being a very happy social drinker who grew up in the 90s and spent my formative years downing pints and keeping up with the boys. Um, <laughs> so I was sort of a bit of a Zoe Ball kind of wannabe, I think. And it, it never seemed like a problem until much, much later in life. And for me, the turning point was when um, I had some really bad news. So my husband was diagnosed with a brain tumour. And the shock of that, I, I found that I was drinking for the wrong reasons. I was drinking to forget and to numb out from the kind of pain and grief that I was feeling rather than to be sociable. And I, uh, I was terrified, actually, because I didn't want to ask anyone for help because I thought that people would think that I was an alcoholic and that also that people might think if I stopped drinking I'd be boring and I thought I'd never have any fun again or any friends again and all of those fears just kept me stuck in this loop of trying to moderate my drinking and then you know it'd work for a bit but I'd soon find I was back at square one um, and just down in downing well drinking quite quickly a whole bottle of wine and then going to the little Tesco on the corner for a second one it's just really bad so I I was lucky actually I I went to see um well I went, the, the reason why I set up my business actually is because I went to work um to look for help um, I looked to my employer because we've got a really good employee assistance program and we've got a really good well-being program and I've got private medical insurance so I was like there must be something here Employee assistant program. I had like a self-help quiz I could fill in. There was a bit of a kind of advice online. There was signposting to AA, stuff that didn't really resonate with me. I didn't think that I needed to go to AA. So then I went to the kind of private medical insurance. I found an alcohol counsellor who I wanted to work with, who lived locally. And they said that was excluded because it was counted as rehab, but I could go and see general counsellor so I went to see a general counsellor who in the first session told me well she asked me how much I was drinking and then she told me how much she drank which was a lot more and told me not to worry and that kept me stuck for a bit longer that kept me stuck for a few more months I like I skipped away thinking oh I'm fine um anyway eventually I just paid to go to see the alcohol counsellor and it was the best decision I've ever made because um he said you know let, let's work 
to a 12 week period of sobriety. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> 12 weeks. But, you know, I can drink again at the end of it. And obviously what happened is by the end of 12 weeks, I never wanted to drink again because I felt so much better. But the idea for my business, which is really all about taking this anti-stigmatization message around alcohol into the workplace, is because of that experience. Um, and what I've done since then is shared my story in the workplace at the place where I work. And it's it's turned into a bit of a movement (laughs) like a sober curious society with loads of members and we have monthly meetings and we have um lots of kind of online content and things like that and I want to take that what I've created and 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 bring it to more employers and more industries well thank you so much for sharing your story with us all I really appreciate it because it's something that is still so taboo in the UK and I think a lot of people don't talk about their experiences or aren't comfortable sharing them so thank you I think it's really valuable I know that there will be someone listening who that will definitely impact so thank you so much Janet and then I need to apologize for getting your company name wrong I called it choosing sunrise instead of choose sunrise that's okay don't worry I'm so sorry so many people get my company name wrong (laughs) it's forever being called um blue sky career coaching and I I never correct anyone. So I must, uh, yeah, Don't just wanted worry. to make sure I said sorry to you for that. And then also, I just wanted to ask how your husband is. Oh, yes, thank you. So um, he was diagnosed with a brain tumour about four years ago now, and he's doing great. He's defying a lot of the odds. He's had two fairly gruelling operations. I won't go into the detail. It's not something you want to think about if you're having your lunch. He's had radiotherapy, and his tumour has been stable for about a year and a half now which is being stable is the best you hope for with a brain tumor a long period of stability is the is the utopia position because there's no cure it will never go away and at some point it will come back and unless he's very unlucky it will be the thing that that kills him um he has a life expectancy of around five to ten years from diagnosis four years ago so but obviously some people are massively outside of those numbers but it's a strange way to live, Faye. It really is. It's 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 like a constant living loss. They call it like a. I feel like I've been grieving constantly for four years, and I continue to grieve even though he's here, <laughs> and it's hard not to. I'm so sorry, Janet, to hear how poorly your husband is still. I mean, I'm so pleased he's stable, but I can't even begin to imagine how tough that must be yeah it has been tough um but I think a lot of people especially when you get into your mid-40s a lot of people do have trauma whether it's a husband or another loved one parents getting older people getting ill this is the sort of thing that happens to a lot of people as they get into their 40s and I do think that a lot of the clients and people in my groups that I've worked with have found that that is a catalyst for their relationship with alcohol changing. Um, I think it's Mm. quite a common thread, actually, is that alcohol consumption can feel absolutely fine and okay until something happens. And then it it can be the start of um, a very different relationship with alcohol when you have some kind of trauma. So, yeah, it's been an Mm. interesting experience. It's really interesting to hear you say that. It's not something I've really thought about before, you know, what the triggers are that can can tip you from being a everyday, it's 
okay drinker to a actually this is a bit too much and not very good for me drinker yeah. and so you talked about some of the things that made you realize actually it had got a bit out of control and the fact that you were going out to buy a second bottle of wine every evening what are some of the other signs that people listening can look out for whether that's behavior in themselves or behaviors that they're noticing in their colleagues at work so I think I always say it's not about the amount that you're drinking when you're looking at your own drinking there's no I mean obviously there's a government recommended amounts but the reality is there is no safe level of drinking all drinking is harmful it's really about whether you're happy with the amount that you're drinking so if if you're happy and you feel that you're in control of your drinking the amount's less important if you're drinking more than you intended to or more than you want to be that's a real warning sign to yourself the other one that i think is quite common that's a bit of a warning sign is if you're waking up at about 3am feeling anxious there's a good physiological reason why that's happening which is that your brain is counteracting the depressant effect of the alcohol by releasing stimulants and those stimulants are keeping you awake and making you feel like antsy and jittery and that's where this whole kind of anxiety comes from the sort of morning after anxiety gosh I had absolutely no idea about that you can see it's a subject that I haven't looked into in detail before I hadn't ever thought about actually the fact that there can be these physical effects that you won't necessarily recognize where they're coming from or why they're happening yeah anxiety is a the link between anxiety and alcohol is is enormous everybody I know who has stopped drinking reports reduced anxiety and I think it's really interesting that when you go and see medical professionals and you talk about, you know, people talk about being depressed or anxious, they're not always asked about their drinking. And actually, mm-hmm. it, probably people don't really want to hear it, but stopping drinking could be the thing that's really holding you back from lifting yourself out of a depression or reducing your own levels of anxiety without having to go onto medication. And I'm not suggesting that's going to work for everyone or that drink stopping drinking is a magic solution that will make all your problems go away. But my goodness me, I cannot tell you how much better I felt after I stopped. People ask me, do you miss it? And I'm like, there's no way I'd go back to drinking. I, why would I want to go back to feeling like that? no way you know what it's making me think I've covered stress and anxiety and resilience several times on the podcast before it's a topic I talk about quite a lot because I know that for my listeners they're in such busy roles with huge demands on their time a lot of the time and they can feel like they're under a lot of pressure which can of course lead to stress burnout and anxiety i've never once mentioned alcohol as part of this whole scenario because i just haven't been aware of that really and i can imagine now as i'm listening to you talk that it could end up being a bit of a vicious cycle if you're feeling stressed or anxious and you think oh i'll just have a couple of glasses to unwind i can very quickly see how that could be sort of the beginning of a bit of a spiral yeah without a doubt and it's it's so common i mean how many people get home from a busy stressful day at work and have a glass of wine with dinner to unwind and and you know what there's nothing wrong with that if that's if you're having a glass of wine but then i just wonder how many people are actually 
carrying on and drinking the rest of the bottle because, you know, it's how they've learnt to... It's the only coping mechanism that they've developed to cope with the stress. And when I work with clients, one one of the things I always say to them is, if you're going to take alcohol out, you've got to put something else in. So the the trick, I think, is to work out why you're drinking. So say it's to unwind after a very stressful day at work and then work out what other strategies you could put in place to help you unwind after a busy day at work so you know whether it's sport whether it's music whether it's socializing whether it's knitting I don't know whatever it is for you um, and put that in instead because just taking the alcohol out without putting something else in is going to be a lot more difficult. That is something that I have talked about before so in the other episodes where stress or anxiety or resilience have come up as topics there has been discussion around what kind of strategies may help you. So for anyone listening, I will put some links in the show notes to those episodes. One was a very early episode with Adele Stickland. Then there was one quite recently, actually, that I released, which was two ideas to help you bounce back from a tough day at work. And then there was another episode with Tom Cleary, which I will link to as well. I'd really recommend for anyone who's interested in this topic, just hop back and have a listen to those after you've finished listening to this episode. Brilliant. I think I will give some of those a listen too. <laughs> You'll have to let me know what you think if you listen to them, Janet. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great. So I guess to move along a tiny bit with this then, if you're thinking, oh, I'm not happy with the amount that I'm drinking, or you've spotted a colleague at work and you're just a bit worried about them and their levels of drinking, what's your advice for a first step? I'm guessing your advice might actually be different for those two questions. So please feel free to choose to answer whichever one of them you would prefer to first. Well, I think with your own drinking is actually a lot easier in some ways. If you feel that you're not happy with your own drinking, I would really recommend that you do some proper research and get yourself get yourself into the sober community there is I always call it like an underworld of sober people um, because you don't see them you everywhere you go you see people drinking but there's actually thousands millions of us who don't drink at all who are just living our best lives and loving life without the booze and you can find communities on Facebook and I'm sure other platforms <laughs> Instagram actually has a lot of sober heroes on find yourself some people who inspire you Um, would be one of the first steps and open your mind to the possibility that not drinking at all might actually be easier than trying to moderate and might actually be better than trying to moderate. I have a free membership option on my website on choosesunrise.co.uk where we have a very small but supportive community of people who are Um, generally in the early days of stopping drinking that's completely free to join and there's free resources on there there's others out there that might be better suited to some different listeners so there are lgbtq sober communities there's a great one called the sober girl society which is for younger women who want to go out and party but without drinking there's even one um, for Muslims who drink Muslims who drink in secret or have done in the past and want to get sober there's loads there's but find your own tribe. I think that's a really good first step into exploring what 
what might be possible for you. And then when it comes to somebody else, uh, particularly in the workplace, I think my advice would be don't let it stew, um, like do a, a direct one-to-one, confidential, sensitive conversation could be such an important first step for that person. What you really want to avoid is the whole kind of what are we going to do about Dave situation, as I call it, where everybody knows <laughs> that someone has a problem and no one wants to say anything or do anything about it. Um, I don't think that's acceptable in the workplace anymore. I think it's time for managers to step up and um, learn how to have those difficult conversations, which we're taught as managers to do about all sorts of other topics, but not necessarily about alcohol. And that's what I really want to do with my business is to, I'm I'm looking for employers who really care about the well-being of their colleagues and want to deliver great resources in this kind of area to come on board with me and help me to pilot um, an alcohol-wise employer accreditation. And what that would do is it would provide training to line managers on how to deal sensitively and compassionately with these issues. It would provide consultancy and advice on alcohol policy, provide training for the whole organisation on things like sober shaming and the effect that it can have on people if you try and persuade them to just have one. Um, If they tell you that you're not drinking, that whole kind of why not? Are you pregnant? Why can't you just have one type conversations Mm -hmm. and what to say instead? And it would provide webinars and resources and inspirational material as well as one-to-one services. So, yeah, that's something that I'm really looking to launch next year. And I'm looking for pilot suppliers to come on board with me. Um, you know, if it, if it is something that you think could be relevant for your organisation. So I think it's it's a bit of an elephant in the well-being room. I think times are changing. I really believe that in 20 years time, we'll look back and think, can you believe that employers used to give like used to have a free bar as like a reward. <laughs> Imagine if they gave away free cigarettes as a reward. You know, it, it, I just think there'll be a change of attitudes. I really do. It's funny to think how things may be so different in the future, but I guess whatever we try and predict will end up being really different. It's yeah. sort of a bit like smoking, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? I just remember everywhere being filled with smoke when I was young. It's incredible to think now that we've got so many smoke-free zones everywhere but anyway anyway I won't start reminiscing (laughs) about (laughs) uh, being young and thinking it was awful having smoke all over the place coming back to what you were saying about your alcohol wise program that sounds really valuable and I hope that someone listening gets in touch to say if they're interested in exploring piloting it with you I don't want you to have to give away all your secrets, of course, for free. But perhaps if I could just probe you a little bit more on your recommendation that if you see someone at work who you think may have a problem to have a sensitive and timely conversation with them, would you just be happy to share some initial tips on how you handle that situation? Because it is those difficult situations that we all find so tricky and then end up putting off or just really, really worrying about. If you do have any advice, it would be wonderful to hear some of it. Yeah, I can tell you a little bit about a conversation that I did actually have in the workplace on this topic. So um, somebody who worked in my team a long time ago um, 
it had been noticed that they had been almost seemed drunk the morning after um and you know you could smell alcohol on them and they'd previously been a really high performer and the performance had dropped off and i was tasked with um having the difficult conversation which was fine and i just started off by saying how are you um to which i got i'm fine and i was you sort of have to do the how are you really (laughs) um you know Mm. they kind of dig deeper and sit back and listen and give them space and um be really open and warm i told this individual that i was worried about them i told them that as their line manager it was my responsibility it was it was actually part of my role to look after their well-being and that although you know i i knew that it kind of said you don't have to share everything with me but i these are the signs that I've seen that everything isn't okay mm. um, and explain just softly some of the things that had been noted. And it was enough to get the person to kind of open up and actually tell me that they were getting divorced, which I didn't know, and how mm. how awful it had been. And just, you know, it kind of all came out really. And, and um, it, it, once that dialogue had started we were able to really start to build a trusting relationship with us and because I was able to reassure them about confidentiality Mm -hmm. I was able to help get them some support and counseling I was able to give them some paid time off work and stay in touch with them during that period Um, I visited them in their home and you know, ultimately, it resulted in that person coming back to work three months later, back to their pretty much old self. And that's, if I'd have just left that, they probably would have ended up getting sacked. And then what would happen to them? You know, it's not, Mm. it's not fair to, to let someone flounder like that. And I mean, I know that it won't always work out that way. And sometimes things, you know, might not, go quite as smoothly as that but by being open by being warm by being compassionate by asking open-ended questions and sitting back and really actively listening and just caring you know just actually caring about people it can make a huge difference to somebody just to be listened to so yeah that, that that's kind of my personal advice on how to handle it it's brilliant to hear that advice I think it's going to be incredibly helpful for anyone listening. And actually, it's quite consistent advice when it comes to handling these tricky conversations. Because as you were talking about that example and the fact that the person you spoke to then opened up and told you that they were getting divorced, it reminded me of a previous episode where we focused on bereavement in the workplace. I spoke to Michelle Smith and she, again, just said how important it is to have these open, warm, and timely conversations with people. In fact, I can't remember if it was in the episode or in the chat I had with her before or the chat I had with her afterwards, where she talked about the fact that these conversations can be important because you may suspect one thing, but it could be something completely different that's happening, or you then find out a whole load of more information. So for example, you know, with some illnesses, side effects of that can be slurred speech. And so 
people can be thought of as oh my gosh are they drinking and actually no that's not the case they have a medical condition or it's a side effect of medication and if you don't have that conversation everyone may be thinking one thing when actually it's a completely different situation to what everyone is secretly thinking but also it means that you can make sure you are putting the right support in place and I suppose where you've just talked about your colleagues saying they were getting divorced it goes back to what you said at the very beginning of our chat together today about there often being trigger points that are the reason behind increased drinking in us all yeah absolutely and just on that point about the trigger points I think it's really important as well to talk about the fact that nobody goes from being a normal drinker to a rock bottom alcoholic without going through a huge grey area in the middle. And Mm. my very strong belief is that by talking to people who find themselves in that grey area and showing them that not only that it's possible to live without alcohol but it that it's you know that it might be better um showing them that it's okay to to be sober showing them that it's okay to ask for help removing that sort of stigma that I, that kept me held back i really genuinely do believe that we can prevent so much alcohol harm all of the services the traditional services are aimed at people who have gone quite a long way through that gray area and are pretty much you know, getting towards the bottom, there's no need to hit rock bottom before you go and get help. (laughs) Why don't we help people much, much earlier and prevent people from doing all of the harm to their liver and to their mental health? There's there's not many services in that area. And that's, I think, a real gap um, and a real opportunity to do something that, that can help millions and millions of people. Yes, I'd never really thought about this term grey area drinking before until I read about it on your website, actually. Okay, yeah. It's a really important thing to be talking about. So thank you for bringing it up. And my worry as you're talking is thinking about our work environments and how much we may be encouraging this without realising it. For example, with social events, corporate events, gifts if I I remember finding out that the head teacher at my son's primary school had a whole garage full of whiskey bottles and wine bottles where every year people would buy him a thank you gift and he'd never told anyone that he doesn't drink he just had all of this wine stacking up so even thinking about what gifts we give to each other at work I guess it's all these little signs that until you start really thinking about it you may not notice I've even started noticing since we spoke Janet that my youngest son loves watching this superhero program on tv it's a series but in it I've started noticing that when the adults in the program are having a tough day you see them pouring themselves a glass of wine yeah and I just think oh my goodness it's everywhere it's a it's at work, it's when we go out, it's what we're watching on the TV. It's it's so bizarre that we're all living in this world where it's just completely normalised as a great thing. Yeah, it is everywhere. It really, really is. And when you stop drinking, you realise how conditioned you've been all your life to believe that alcohol is the answer. So 
you know, I grew up in a house where my parents drank. In fact, my mum worked in the pub. And some of my earliest memories are of my dad taking me down to the pub where my mum worked and sitting me on the bar. I can really remember sitting on the bar and then probably quite drunk people putting me on their shoulders and running around with me and things like that. Um, (laughs) Quite happy memories, you know. (laughs) But, like, just the associations go right back to childhood every celebration every wedding every birthday every christening every christmas you know it's it's there always there as a a point of celebration if we go to a funeral there's very few sober people at a funeral everyone has a good drink we we drink to numb out we drink to forget we drink at the end of a stressful day it's like we've given alcohol these magical cure-all properties we've (laughs) dressed it up in beautiful bottles and labelling and giving it uplighting in bars and glamorised it. And at the end of the day, I think when you stop drinking, it's a bit like the Emperor's New Clothes. You just go, oh, it's ethanol. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and if you if you kind of replace it with cigarettes and you imagine, I don't know, like beautiful packaging for cigarettes that's put on a little mm-hmm. pedestal behind a bar with special lighting on it. You you would feel a little bit uncomfortable with that, I think. And mm-hmm. that's that's why I think things will change because I think more and more people are wake, waking up to the fact that alcohol is harmful. And I really do think it might not be 20 years, it might be 50 years or 100 years, but I think there will come a point where people will look at alcohol and think, I cannot believe that they used to be allowed to advertise it, you know, we might imagine if all alcohol was in white white label bottles behind yeah. a screen like cigarettes are. Would you see it in the same way? Yeah, do you know I really can't imagine it yeah. at all. Yeah. But although it can feel then a bit overwhelming to think, well, it's just everywhere, as HR and people professionals, there is something that we can do about that yeah. in looking about how we are talking about or promoting alcohol and drinking within our workplace on a wider level, as well as getting brave and equipping ourselves to have those important conversations and put support in place for our colleagues. Yeah, well, I absolutely have a few minimum requirements that would be needed for someone to carry the alcohol-wise employer accreditation. So some of the simple things that people can put in place, which won't cost them anything really, would be always have alcohol-free options at every event and I mean not Mm. warm orange juice so if you've got Prosecco you need to have no Secco as well if you've got beer you Mm. need to have alcohol-free beer and there's so much choice available you can't there's no excuse for it I went to a works do not organized by my employer but a third party last week I was greeted at the door uh, everyone was given a drink of their choice. I asked what alcohol-free options they had, and they said Coke or lemonade. I was like, "Have you got water?" No. <laughs> I was like, "Okay, <laughs> I'll have nothing then, because I don't want a cup full of sugar and I don't drink." <laughs> so I wasn't very happy. But you know, that still happens in this day and age. That still happens. So it's very annoying. I'd I'd see it as an inclusion issue. So when you're thinking about planning events, um, think about what activities there are to do for people who don't drink so don't don't plan events that are just going to the pub and drinking at least have a quiz or like have something you know go and play crazy golf 
And yes, fair enough, everyone can go for a drink afterwards, but at least it's not the whole event is just sitting and drinking because mm-hmm. that's not healthy for anybody. And for people who don't drink, it's extremely dull. <laughs> yeah, I need to say a big thank you to my niece, actually. It was her wedding at the weekend. And I was so impressed at all these little thoughtful touches she'd done. So there were lots of children there, including my children. And on every table, she'd put a box of games oh, for yeah. any tables that had children on. And for anyone who wasn't drinking, they had this array of options to choose from oh, wow you know whether it was for the kids who obviously should not be drinking yeah. but also for the adults so when you walked in you had the choice of taking a glass of champagne or a glass of sparkling elderflower in a champagne flute Lovely. which I thought was really clever just those little things like having it in the same sort of yeah. glass means if you're one of the people who isn't drinking it doesn't feel such a big deal like you're really standing out and different to everyone else yeah and that's a real difficulty when when you first stop drinking you feel utterly paranoid that you're going to be cross-questioned about your drinking and standing at an event with orange juice when everyone else has got champagne is so uncomfortable it's just it's a barrier to people making that decision to stop it it genuinely is because it's dead scary it feels like you're admitting that you've got a problem that's really taboo and that everyone will know about it. And it's, you know, employers can do so much to support people in this space by making little changes like that with the events. Find out if people drink before you decide what you're giving them as a Christmas reward. Don't have a free, an, an unlimited free bar. It's it's a recipe for disaster. Anyone who works in HR already knows this. I mean, who who works in HR wants a free bar? No one. But, you know, <laughs> um, you know, give people tickets so they get a couple of free drinks and then people don't get as drunk. Make sure it's got good alcohol-free options. And I think the, the culture from the top of the company is really important as well. I've worked in places where it's almost it's almost been the case that you have to go out with the boss on a Friday to be in with a chance of promotion. And although that sounds really old school, you wouldn't believe the number of people who I speak to from like the legal profession, teachers, um, who still feel that that, that culture is, exists in their employment. It sounds like something from the 80s, doesn't it? But it's still out there. It still happens. PR, marketing, that's another one. I've got people in my group who work in offices where there's a a fridge full of alcohol that everyone helps themselves to at lunchtime on a Friday and basically by the time they leave the office they're all half cut um this is this is now this is in 2022 (laughs) you know it's still happening I am sure there are endless stories and that everyone listening is thinking oh yes I've got a story I could share as well before I ask you to share the details of how people can get in touch with you and learn more about this brilliant work that you're doing I can't wait to hear what your non-fiction book recommendation is for us all oh well I would definitely recommend a book called Alcohol Explained by William Porter, which is a brilliant, simple, easy to read book that explains physiologically what happens in your body when you drink and also the neuroscience. And don't be put off by the word neuroscience. I understood it. So it's okay. You can read it. (laughs) It's not it's not too techy, but it just shows you what happens to your brain and your body when you drink. And it's fascinating. Um, So, yeah, William Porter, Alcohol Explained. 
That does sound fascinating. And I will put a link to it in the show notes for anyone who would like to take a look at that and think about buying it, which then brings us on to my very final question, Janet, which is for anyone listening who thinks, right, I would love to be involved in the pilot, or I would just love to know more about Janet's work. What is the best way of them finding out more about you, more about Choose Sunrise and getting in touch? Absolutely. So you can find me really easily on LinkedIn, Janet Hadley. And my website is choose sunrise or one word.co.uk. And I've got a contact form on there. I'd love to hear from you if you're interested um, in this topic. And if you have got some of those stories you were just saying, I'm mm. about to launch my own podcast. I hope you don't mind if I give that a little plug. <laughs> no, of course not. You're very welcome to. I'm looking forward to hearing it. It's called Professional Drinkers and it's about alcohol culture in the workplace. I'd love to hear anything from horror stories and comedy stories through to amazing experiences that people have had where their employers have really helped them and everything in between. So, yeah, I'd love to chat to you if you've got some stories to share. That sounds brilliant. And what I can do, Janet, is I have an email that I send out every week if someone's listening and thinks, what email? I'm not signed up to those. <laughs> you can subscribe to those in the show notes as well. So I will send an email out about this episode that we've recorded together. And I can also put that in there to say that you would love to have stories sent through to you. And I can put your contact details in there because I can see that it's just such an important topic to be talking about. It would be wonderful to have people share their stories with you. And I know how fantastic everyone on my email list is. Whenever I send an email out and ask for support with something, I always have such a lovely response. I seem to be very lucky to attract lovely listeners and lovely people who subscribe to the email. Oh, I'm not at all surprised that you attract lovely people, Faye. There's a reason for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. That's really kind of you to say. Well, I had better say goodbye, but thank you so much for your time today. It has just been an absolute pleasure talking to thank you. Thank you so much for having me. That brings us to the end of today's episode. I really hope that you have found it useful and it's given you some practical strategies to take away and put into action. If you have enjoyed the show and you've maybe been listening for a while, I would really appreciate it if you could possibly rate and review the podcast for me in Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, because it makes a huge difference in encouraging those platforms to show the podcast to people who haven't come across it before. And I really would love to just help as many HR and people professionals as I can through these free weekly tips. Thank you so much and I look forward to being back again next week.